Hello and welcome to Valley West Cinemas. I'm your host Aaron and this is the podcast where we take a group of related films and eliminate all but three. Today I am joined by Tara. Hello Tara. What's up guys? I have my list on my red pen ready because today we're discussing movies that are considered to be bad, but Tara and I are going to take a look and say, are they really that bad? So in other words, a Razzie's episode, but... Kind of a Razzie's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they were nominated for Razzie's, and probably some of them won the Razzie's, but that doesn't mean they're all necessarily bad movies. Well, and not all of them were nominated, because we've, we've talked about the Razzie's before and how they just sort of want to trash Hollywood. They want to take advantage and laugh at Hollywood failure. These movies, while some of them were nominated, also have low critic scores or have been considered to be bad. The general public consensus might be that they're bad. A few have become cult classics, but most of these have low IMDb scores. I mean, to be fair, looking at the list, it is kind of hard to say, well, people are wrong about this movie. Well, because we're going to talk about it. They're right on a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Here, to be fair, I do hate some of these, but I also love a few of them. So we'll get into it. The movies on today's list are Scooby-Doo, Spice World, Space Jam, Hook, Masters of the Universe, Waterworld, Showgirls, Godzilla from 1998, The Blair Witch Project, Batman and Robin, Speed Racer, and Last Action Hero. I notice a lack of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Secret of the Ooze. Is there a reason for that? Um, Because that one isn't really considered a hated movie. It may not have scored well with critics, but it was successful. The fans generally sort of like it. The big complaint that I have and some people had is that it's so different from the first movie because it basically was produced by different people. I just didn't like they didn't have Bebop and Rocksteady. Like, what the hell was with the wolf? Well, if you watch the first film, the first Ninja Turtles from 1990 is a dark Hong Kong-produced independent film. And the second one is just straight up a kid's movie. Although it would be kind of cool to see a dark take with Vanilla Ice. But Ninja Turtles 2, yeah, it's not one of these movies where people have spent 30 years talking about how awful it is. Some people still like it. Some people don't. It's just sort of a middle ground kid's movie. That's fair. That's fair. Tara, which one do you want to talk about first? I'm going to go with one I actually remember seeing in theaters. I think it was like maybe not opening weekend, but two weekends in. Godzilla 98. Yeah, the Matthew Broderick one directed by Roland Emmerich, who did Independence Day. And I'm pretty sure we have talked about it sort of tangentially on the show before because of Independence Day. Uh, Which was such a great movie. Godzilla, I had plans to see it five times with five different people the opening week. And I saw it the first time. And then canceled all four other ones. Wait, wait. You didn't even have them like buy the the tickets and the popcorn and the hot dog? No, no, no. I just didn't want to go back. I did not like the Godzilla movie. And right now, I do enjoy going back to it. I do rewatch the 98 Godzilla, but not in any sort of appreciative way. It's not a good movie. It's (laughs) And again, I want to stress with just about every movie on this list, I would not call any of these good, bad movies. This isn't like, oh, this is hilarious. I'm having such a good time watching this trash. Most of these are at least considered to just sort of be bad. And with Godzilla 98, I don't think it's a good bad movie. It's just a bad movie. But kind of like The Last Airbender, I can appreciate how bad it is. How bad it is. <laughs> I can watch it and I can watch it and just sort of enjoy that it's not good. Two things I remember like jaw dropping, I can't believe I paid money to see this, was how Godzilla's head just looked so weird okay. compared to the rest of it. I am glad you brought that up. Let's just go ahead and dive right into that because I have... It's like a brick. I have a uh, an idea that I think would have fixed the movie at least a little bit, okay? If they had just done this thing, it would have completely changed the perspective on the film. We'll get to it. But yes, the design of Godzilla, he looks like a Jay Leno iguana. <laughs> he looks so... Or it, she looks so bad. She, we're going to go with a she. She looks so horrible. They call her a she, but then they say she's also asexual. So, well, no, she's not asexual. She's a parthenogenic reproductive. She's female. She can fertilize her own eggs. They actually do have lizards in real life that do that. There are reptiles that can do this. So, that is not out of bounds for a giant lizard movie. Well, either way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm going to throw that in that out of all the crud they got wrong, we're going to say they did get this one part right. Yeah, but can they use a human pregnancy test to see if she's going to lay eggs or not? That I severely doubt, but I'm just going to go with radioactive magic for that. Radioactive magic, okay. So the design, <laughs> the design of Godzilla is awful, and they purposely hid it from the marketing. But it wasn't meant to be this, let's hide this terrible, awful thing. They wanted to keep it secret. They didn't want people to know what Godzilla looked like until the movie came out. So in the ads, you see his tail, you see his feet. Yeah, I remember like the or footprint. Her feet, yeah. Her feet, whatever. Like the footprint poster, and you're like, oh, okay, I know what right. this is. It looks cool. Like two days before the movie came out, it was actually a uh, Taco Bell commercial with a little chihuahua because they had a tie-in with Godzilla. It was a Taco Bell commercial that actually finally revealed what Godzilla looked like. 
But, so thank you, Taco Bell. I should have saved my money. Even nowadays with Avengers movies, it's always either commercials or toys. Mm-hmm. Like it was a Lego set that gave away that Ant-Man becomes giant in Civil War. That was how the public found out that that was going to happen in the movie because of a toy set. I do remember this is years ago when Brave was first coming out and at a Disney store by me, they had like all the dolls set out before the movie, but only one box doll set had a cover on it. So you couldn't see the actual character. And you could see it was the queen, but you couldn't see the other part in the toy. And it turns out, oh, it's this giant bear costume. Right, because in Brave, they kept it secret from the trailers that a great part of the movie is about her family, her mom and her brothers, turning into bears. That's a major plot point of the film that was not in the advertisements. And in Godzilla, going back to that, they kept him secret. Aside from, you know, Taco Bell commercial viewers, (laughs) I guess. Anyone going into the movie, you didn't know what Godzilla looked like until you saw the movie. And he ends up looking, she, Godzilla, ends up looking stupid. The jaw is ridiculous. And a lot of the backlash, the movie is bad, but a lot of the backlash is because because of what Godzilla looks like. So here's my idea. Here's my, here's my, this is what they should have done. Okay. Okay. So if you remember the movie, it's full of a bunch of Independence Day type characters because they, they copied the Independence Day formula of a broadcast of wacky characters, right? And the problem is, is that In Independence Day, you have different personality types, but in Godzilla, everybody's the comic relief. Even the general, the cameraman, the main guy, the girlfriend, they're all comic relief. Everybody in Godzilla is playing Randy Quaid from Independence Day. That's a huge problem. That's that's the major problem. I would say to add to that, what I mostly remember about the people from Godzilla, they were all such jerks to each other, and they were jerks to everyone, so they were kind of like mean Whiny jerks, too. They were horrible. Half the time I spent the movie watching going... Godzilla just eat that one right there and the movie's going to be 10% yeah. better. The love interest, we don't need a forced love interest. And she steals from him and there's like this crying moment in the rain where she apologizes because she wanted to advance her career. And it's like, no, what, why, what is this doing in this movie? This, yeah, Godzilla, as I'll mention in another discussion about Masters of the Universe, Godzilla is a secondary character in her own movie. Mm-hmm. It's more about the intrapersonal relationships of Matthew Broderick, his love interest, all the wacky random jerks to each other. But you, you, and, you have to have people. like The lizard doesn't talk, right? So No, you, but you should not be so invested if, oh, she stole from him, but she's so sorry about it. Meanwhile, this giant lizard is walking right, around. Right, it's not relevant. <laughs> and then disappearing into a hole that just materialized. Oh, that's what we talked about the last time. Yeah, about how, the, how Godzilla can just disappear into New York sewers? Like, it, it's it, not it, a crocodile it's in the, size the 70s. Of a building. We're taking the really long way around (laughs) to my idea. Okay, so setting the stage again, going back, Godzilla looks horrible. They kept it secret. And as you watch the movie, you hate all the characters. As the movie progresses, Godzilla ends up getting shot with torpedoes, I believe, from a submarine. And she sinks dramatically in slow motion and disappears into the ocean. And they think that Godzilla is dead. And that is when they find all the eggs in Madison Square Garden. And it turns into a remake of The Lost World Jurassic Park, where they're running around from mini Godzillas that are basically raptors. It's, It's a raptor sequence. But at least raptors look cool. And and then they blow up Madison Square Garden and you think it's the end. And then you hear a rumble and Godzilla rises up from the destruction of Madison Square Garden. She's not dead. And then there's another chase sequence with Godzilla coming after them, etc. Who saw that coming? She's not dead. Okay. So here's my idea. Remember, the Godzilla design sucks. Okay. So now, picture this. The exact same movie. So it can still be horrible with all the stupid characters. <laughs> the Godzilla death fake out. The Madison Square Garden Lost World ripoff with the baby raptor Godzillas. You can still do all of that. Make the same stupid movie. I don't care. But imagine, after all that disappointment, when Madison Square Garden rumbles and you see their reactions of seeing something, what if it was the original Godzilla design coming out and you have the dramatic close-up of the character saying, it's the male. Perfect. And then you have the chase sequence with the original Godzilla blowing fire and chasing them. How cool would that have... Like, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it right I'm now. Calling, that, that would actually have redeemed probably the entire movie almost, like, perfectly. Right? Wouldn't that have been so freaking cool? To have the male pop up and all of a sudden, wait, that's why it looks different. Because the female looks different. There's sexual dimorphism at play here. It would oh, have been we are so trouble. awesome. That would have been so great. It would have been so, so great. Cool. But they didn't do that. And, you know, woulda, shoulda, coulda, woulda. There's no way I'm keeping this movie. There's oh, yeah, not no, a no, no, single I'm not, redeeming I'm not... feature. I, well, I know we're supposed ask, to be... Well, we said this at the okay. start. We're we're going to ask okay. each other. What is a good thing? Is it really that bad? Yes. Okay. You're gonna- <laughs> <laughs> yes. It is concrete. Yes. I can't think of a single thing in the movie that is redeemable or good. I will say this, okay, and 
I've defended bad movies before where I've said, hey, check it out anyway. Like, it's fun, stupid. And again, to reiterate, Godzilla 98 is not a good bad movie, but it is very watchable in that you'll shake your head and probably cuss at your TV because it's so <laughs> stupid. But it's entertaining in in the, in that way. It's entertaining in that it's bad, but not in a good bad way. It's just, I feel kind of silly trying to describe it this way because I do love good bad movies like The Room and Samurai Cop are great examples or, or Miami Connection. This isn't like that. This is just actual incompetence and not in a fun way. <laughs> but I think Hook is worse than Godzilla. I think Hook is Steven Spielberg's second worst movie other than 1941. I'm going to say you're the first person I've ever met that didn't like Hook. And the only reason I won't flip this table over is because this equipment's probably expensive. But otherwise... <laughs> in our studio. We're, we're in a studio, right? <laughs> you said in the last episode we're not in a studio. It's Which a, one is it? It's a studio slash living room. <laughs> Anyway, no. I, I do. I am really curious about your reasons for this. Seriously. I was, what, 10 when Hook came out? I think it was 1990. So you already read Misery by the time you were in fourth grade. Right, so. right, right. <laughs> I didn't even like Hook as a kid. I thought it was awful. It's, Why? People who bash Steven Spielberg often bring up this whole Peter Pan never grow up idea. If you watch a lot of his films, there's a sort of childhood glaze over it. Even if you watch Spielberg ripoff movies like Super 8, you can sort of see the Spielberg sheen, the, the idea of holding on to childhood. And there's so much of that in his filmmaking. And he often gets criticized for that. It's one of the reasons he made Schindler's List, because people said that, that Spielberg will never grow up because he keeps making these movies that look like this. Even always had that sort of wistful sheen over it. And then they saw Schindler's List and thought, well, I guess we were waiting for that hopeful sheen at the end of Schindler's List, and it's coming at some point, yeah, no, right? No. That, that was, Schindler's List was his attempt to grow up. Even though he created the summer blockbuster with Jaws, and he broke all sorts of records with E.T., he never got the respect that he deserved. He didn't win an Oscar until Schindler's List. And that's so weird for me to hear, because I've always associated Spielberg with, he's always been a huge director and a powerhouse, and he produces pretty good stuff and makes pretty good stuff. Well, he even made the color purple in 85 to try to escape from, oh, he can only make Raiders of the Lost Ark type stuff. It was nominated for a bunch of Oscars, but he wasn't. And The Color Purple is not an easy movie to watch. Yeah, it's a good movie, though. But it's a great movie, but it is hard to watch. Oprah has an Oscar? Yeah, it, it's kind of weird, but it, especially if you've read the book, and again, we're going off on The Color Purple on a Razzie's list here, but uh, it is not what I associate with, you know, Spielberg for maybe that's part of it, where it's like the the bigger when stuff. When you think of his his overall filmography, that is not a film that pops into a lot of people's brains. Like, it's something that I haven't really thought about in a long time. And But there's no wistful childhood in, in The Color Purple. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's just because the movie doesn't come up that much in conversation. People still talk about Schindler's List, but The Color Purple, maybe it's just too far removed. It's hard to, to try and sell people on that idea. Schindler's yeah. List, it's kind of hard to sell people on that anyway. Yeah, but Hook, though, it's just so saccharine, garbage, nonsense. Everything looks like it's on a, on a set. None of it looks like they're really there, which, you know, I know it's a movie anyway. but It's Neverland. It, it looks like a film set. It looks like I walked into a decorated warehouse when you watch that movie. I don't like any of the kids. I don't like Robin Williams in it. His character development is not interesting to me. And Julia Roberts is just the most boring Tinkerbell ever. She was going through a divorce at the time. Maybe oh, really? that's why. Yeah. She was the only part of Hook I didn't like. And that's because there was that creepy scene where she kisses Robin Williams, you know, adult Peter Pan. Well, she has a crush on him and they explore that. And Yeah, but it's so weird because she's always known him as like this 12 or 13 year old boy. And all of a sudden now he's in his 40s. And it's okay for her to act this way. Tinkerbell, even in the animated ones, she's always been jealous. Yeah, but she's never crossed the line of like physically grabbing on and kissing him. Did Tinkerbell speak in any other version? There's the other live action Peter Pan with Jason Isaacs. There's the animated Peter Pan by Disney, obviously. But I don't know about the book, but did Tinkerbell ever speak? Not in a way. She talked to Peter, but I think that was it. Maybe she like st spoke to the Lost Boys a little bit as well, but it was always in like fairy speak. Yeah, like bells or chimes, and then yeah. the, and they respond like, "Oh yeah, that's a good idea." I mean, in the animated one, she did talk to Captain Hook, but again, mm -hmm. it was you never actually heard what she said. Right? They understood. We didn't. I do like Dustin Hoffman as Hook. He is having so much fun, and Bob Hoskins. Oh, oh man, Bob Hoskins. Oh God, Smee. Bob Hoskins is great. Stop me, Smee. Stop me. Don't stop yeah. me, Smee. <laughs> yeah, I love, I love this uh, version of Hook where he's basically suicidal. <laughs> and, and I'm just gonna say, I love this movie. I'm keeping this movie for now. I'm gonna hold on. But I saw this as a kid, and I didn't really understand too much about it, other than okay, Peter Pan grows up and. He finds his kids in Neverland, and I kind of missed a lot of the intricacies because I was just a kid. As a teenager and as an adult watching it, 
It's so much better. Now, you can say it's kind of saccharine and sweet, but that's Neverland. It's supposed to look like right, that. Right, but it's badly done. Like, an example is when you watch some movies and there are precocious kids who speak like adults because they were written by adults mm-hmm. and it seems so fake. This seems like a child's imagination through the eyes of a 40-year-old. I never get the real sense of them, of the Lost Boys and their behavior of being completely childlike. It feels so staged and fake that because I hate all of them, except for Rufio. Rufio's amazing, Rufio's though. great. And Dante Bosco, man. Prince Zuko. Prince Zuko, yeah. So yeah, Rufio and Hook are great. And uh, Dustin Hoffman and Bob Hoskins and Rufio, those are the pluses. But otherwise, I cannot stand Hook. I would watch Godzilla every day before I would watch Hook again. Wow, I'm sorry you have bad taste. But uh, yeah. I'm going to say one of the best parts in Hook for me is when they actually do get Peter Pan to Neverland. And he's you know, this loser lawyer who doesn't associate with his kids, who doesn't understand pretty much anything. But he's told that, hey, these weirdos dressed up as pirates have your kids. And the first thing he does is like pull out his checkbook. You can just see the disgust and fury in Hook's face. Like this is Disappointment. Not- he's been looking forward to this for so long. He yeah. probably expected, okay, Peter Pan left Neverland. He grew up, whatever. He's probably an adventurer. Maybe he's an explorer. He's not some 40-something year old who's married and has two kids he doesn't even talk to. This is the biggest disappointment of my life. Yeah, so was the movie Hook. Hush. <laughs> I wrote myself in that corner. I yeah, knew did, that as did. soon as I... Yeah. But I like Hook. The Lost Boys are kind of interchangeable, but they are in almost every rendition of Peter Pan. The only one that really matters is Peter Pan. Can you name any of the Lost Boys in the Disney version, in the earlier stories, in the later movies? Do any of them really have personalities beyond just no. the Lost Boys? Yeah, well, that's why they have a group name and not really individuals. Yeah, they're, like, they're just the, the Lost Boys. These are just the Lost Boys. But I do like Hook. And I know you are the first person I know that said they hated Hook. Sorry. Almost everyone I know is like, oh, yeah, well, Robin You say that. You say almost everyone. But, like, the reason it's on this list, though, is because I do know it, it was a box office been, bomb, which well, kind of amazed me. It did fair enough money, but it didn't do well critically. It does have low scores. That's why it's on this list. And <laughs> it is spoken of in negative tones critically. So that's why it's on this list. And maybe because you grew up with it. I don't know. But to me, it's just a garbage fire. I love the movie. I would say it's one of my three right now just to watch your well, blood pressure no, spike. You're not going to offend me by whichever ones you pick. We'll see about that. I yeah. can always put chicken run on this well, list. Well, let's, let's kill another sacred cow then. Space Jam. Space Jam is, is not a, a good movie. Is that a sacred cow? People love it. The, we're talking the Space Jam from the 90s. Yeah, from the, the Michael Jordan one, not yeah. the new one that is one of also the worst movies ever made. We have to look at this objectively as well because there were some good parts in Space Jam. No, 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 Jam. no. Here, here's the thing. So... The idea of this list is a general consensus, either publicly or critically, that these movies are bad. I didn't just brainstorm a list of movies that I think are bad. This is a consensus, and so that's why there's some that I hate and some that I love on here. It's not up to me what the critic scores are, or even audience scores. Some of these have really bad audience scores, too, so normal people like you. But Space Jam... That's assuming a lot. Well, yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, But Space Jam is, I would say, beloved. Beloved? Beloved? Beloved. Beloved, shit. Okay. Space Jam is loved. By many people. It's a classic. It's a cult classic. There's a reason they made a sequel because people have wanted it. And objectively, the first movie is not good. The acting by Michael Jordan, who's not an actor, of course, is awful. For some reason, the voice of Ren and Stimpy is Bugs Bunny. And I normally love Billy West. He's great as Fry on Futurama and all this mm-hmm. other stuff he does. But it's it feels unnatural coming out of Bugs Bunny's mouth. I don't know. But isn't Mel Blank dead? Uh, Mel Blanc, yeah, he does one voice in it because he'd already died, but they use like uh, archival recordings of him, I think. They couldn't exactly get the original guy to do the voice No, I know, again. but they got, but they shouldn't have cast Billy West. And it's hard for me to really trash Space Jam too much, but it's not good. I will say, I mean, you could say it's not good. I know we have to look at some of the, the positive on this still, but the soundtrack is really, the I mean, soundtrack kind of is amazing. amazing. Jinx. Hush. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say that. As much as I look at the movie and try not to say, oh, when I was a kid, I loved it because I didn't love it when I was a kid. Michael Jordan, at least at the time, was undoubtedly the greatest basketball player of all time. But I realized people say that. And one of the most famous people in the world, too. But if he were to walk down the street right now, most people might recognize him, but they might not be exactly. I think I know him from somewhere, unless he was actually in his jersey, because he's not considered the greatest of all time to people in the past 20 years because they have new basketball players and new sports guys all the time that are the new greatest of all time. But everyone's motivation in the movie is clear. 
There's not any kind of, well, I don't know why he did this or why that guy did that. There's no stupid plot twists. There's no dumb plot twists. There's no, oh, here's an estranged father from his son trying to reconnect over their love of computer games. Bill Murray is ridiculously hilarious in it. He is. Oh, I don't do defense. I think he just walked in on the set and they were like, we're going to keep him in the movie. That's true. (laughs) No, you're you're not wrong. He just sounds so awesome in it. It was produced by Ivan Reitman, who did Ghostbusters with Mm -hmm. Bill Murray. And they wanted him in the movie, but Bill Murray, being the way he is, he never really lets producers or filmmakers know when he's available or if he's going to show up. A lot of movies go forward without even knowing if Bill Murray's going to show up. And so they just had to sort of add him in where they could. And that's why at the end, he just kind of shows up. But he's so good in the movie. And I will say that the animated characters all look pretty good. The only one I have a slight issue with now is... The super hyper-sexualization of Lola Bunny. Yeah. A character they just introduced just for the movie to probably appeal to girls. But or here's to the thing. appeal to boys, let's yeah. be honest. She's not a Disney princess. She's not a damsel in distress. She can actually... She's the only Looney Tune who knows how to play basketball, first off. She's definitely sexualized. It's sort of It's very weird. odd to look at now. Being a teenage male when it came out... It probably we'll, made a lot of furries. <laughs> well, look, look. We all experienced Jessica Rabbit, okay? Yes. That was how we learned that animated characters could be attractive. It's weird. (laughs) People reacted to Jessica Rabbit and then people reacted to Lola Bunny. Space Jam is ostensibly a kid's movie. Yes. That's what makes it weird. It was aimed towards kids. And so Lola Bunny being sexualized is all the more obvious. Mm Mm-hmm. But Danny DeVito does a great job as his voice. I mean, the voice acting is pretty good besides Billy West. Billy West isn't even really bad. It just sounds weird. It's just like the wrong voice. But even the bad guys have their motivation. And the reason they don't kidnap Michael Jordan is because at the time he's not a basketball player. So it's a very straightforward reason. It's not the bad guys being stupid. And his terrible acting is kind of funny because he gets sucked into the Looney Tunes world and he just says, what's going on? And it's kind of funny. It is kind of funny because you're not expecting him to... I mean, it is a basketball player from our world sucked into the Looney Tunes world. And he just accepts it like, oh, okay, so what am I doing here? Yeah, what am I doing here? It's not good acting, but at the same time, he's in a Looney Tunes world, so he doesn't understand all the rules, which explains his, you know actions towards the winning the game, all the more understandable. He doesn't come in knowing I can do all this awesome stuff because it's just the world I'm in. I'm not going to cross it off immediately, but I don't think it'll make it. I'll hold on to it for now, just in case, even though I don't really love Space Jam and I do think it's kind of a a bad movie. Yeah, I can't deny what people think of it. People love it. Nobody really goes to bat for Hook too often, but Space Jam is loved. Yeah, but I mean, I'm keeping Hook for now. Oh, shut up. Okay, (laughs) cut that then. I'm going to keep Space Jam for now. Like you said, it's probably going to fall away, but it is still a popular movie. It's not a great movie, but it's one I could probably sit down and watch again and go like, okay, I remember seeing this. I remember the toys. I remember all well, the I'm stuff. glad you said that. So it's a sort of nostalgia thing that we're not going to watch it because it's necessarily good. We're going to watch it because we remember liking it. I will say there was one part in Space Jam, even as a kid, I thought, this is just stupid. And I'm not talking about... A lot of the plot, which, I mean, still pretty much makes sense. There's Mm -hmm. no giant plot holes. Except for this one, when we know it's a Looney Tunes world, these characters get blown up regularly. They fall off cliffs. They get, you know, exploded in fire. And they walk away a few seconds later. But there's this terrible moment where Lola Bunny has fallen down on the court. And one of the Monstars is jumping up and he's going to land on her and smash her into the court. And it's played for this horrible, dramatic moment, and Bugs Bunny throws himself in the way and pushes her to safety to prove he really likes her, and he gets smashed instead. But they're Looney Tunes. They literally get up and blow on their thumb, and now they're back in, you know, back into their normal formation. Right, right. They fall off cliffs, and who cares? Yeah, so it's not this, oh my god, he, he's redeemed, he really likes her, and he can prove it now. No, you didn't need those two minutes in the movie. Uh, keeping with the theme of, are they really that bad? I uh, <laughs> that's, right. a whole, that's a whole list, dude. Right, 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 right. Keeping with the theme of movies that were aimed kind of towards kids, but were very much, what the F? Yeah, Masters of the Universe. The positive I'll say is that Frank Langella as Skeletor is so cool. The makeup and the attitude, and even the actor has said, even though he's been in Pulitzer Prize winning plays and things like that, he said that his favorite performance is Skeletor. Well, it's kind of like Arnold Schwarzenegger's favorite performance and movie being Kindergarten Cop. You don't expect that. Masters of the Universe, or He-Man. It's the He-Man movie. You know, that's how we all know it. It's weirdly adult. Like, it's not particularly sexual or violent, but it's just kind of dour. Like, it has a a darkness to it. And this is a movie of a kid's cartoon in a line of toys. And they did change some things. They got rid of the Prince Adam character, because in He-Man, Prince Adam turns into He-Man, like a secret identity. 
And they abandoned that, which is fine. I don't care. I'm not going to argue about being a purist. Who cares? They can change stuff. But the movie is so... Dark and depressing. Yeah. It is not a happy, exciting fantasy film. And maybe I just haven't watched the show in a long time. The original show, at least. Not the new Netflix one. But He-Man has like a laser gun in it. I mostly remember him just using his sword. Yeah, he had a sword. He didn't have a laser gun. Any kind of laser weapons were for the bad guys. And I say this because... Not talking about the Netflix revelations, but the original 80s toy commercial right. He-Man. That was all it was. I remember having pretty much all the toys. I had all the books. We had Castle Grayskull. We had Snake Mountain as kids. We had every toy you could imagine, even the stupid ones that weren't ever in the show. Yeah. I think this movie was the first one I actually saw and was horribly disappointed by, but I didn't tell anyone, especially my parents, because we didn't go to see movies hardly ever. It's one of the first movies as a kid where you realize they can be bad. It can be bad, and these are characters that I know and love, and it was worse than Ninja Turtles 2, because at least that mostly had some of the characters I knew. But this one, I don't expect them to look the same. Even as a kid, I knew Evelyn wasn't going to show up with, like, neon yellow skin and, like, tight blue clothing. Well, and they had Meg Foster play her, and she has those amazing natural eyes, so Evelyn looks cool. Honestly, that's the most positive thing about this movie, is that the villains are cool. And they barely use the Beastman, sure, and they add that new character, Blade. I like the villains in this. It's all of the hero characters and their actors that are terrible. And not to mention, I do remember they invented an entire new character because for some reason they couldn't animate Orko in or they didn't Yeah, they have created the, the little the little the wizard little, guy played by Billy Barty. Yeah. And they introduced a bunch of stuff, which I know it's a movie. You're going to have to tie people in. But having the He-Man cast appear on Earth, right. it could be doable. You beat but, me by one second. I was just about to talk about that. But okay, so they end up on Earth and they have to try and get this key back and have to defeat the bad guys. And they meet up, of course, with some teenage people, teenagers that are going to help them do all mm-hmm. this. But one of the teenagers is an orphan and she lost her parents and it's so sad. And Courtney no Cox one, from Friends. No one cares. I came to see a movie about He-Man, not He-Man with a laser gun. Here's a little secret to low-budget filmmaking, because it was produced by Canon Films, who was, made, wow. like, a bunch of Chuck Norris movies. <laughs> they should have Chuck Norris be He-Man. You see this a lot in low-budget films, where it's essentially a fantasy story, but they're only in the fantasy world for 10 minutes, and then the rest of the movie is either in the real world or some bunker or some warehouse, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just to save money. And doing, you know, uh, was Etheria, with the land that the, the He-Man's from? Yes. If you put those characters in the real world where you're just filming on a street, that saves so much money. And, oh, yeah. And script-wise, you also get the whole fish-out-of-water stuff, which is overdone. So if you're asking why He-Man and Master at Arms and Tila are in the real world, it's because... To save money, I know, but... It's to save money. Even yeah. as a kid, I watched this oh, I'm going, not saying it's good. I'm saying, yeah, I they, get it. I don't care about the orphan Courtney Cox. If you're going to have He-Man in the real world, that's fine. But it shouldn't be so dark and depressing with, like, a detective following them around. The bald guy from Back to the Future. But at least at the end, he ends up being, like, a friend of theirs. And he just hangs out. And, and he goes the, back with yeah. him. And he's like, like, hey, I like you here. This is cool. It's like, what? I'm going to stay in this magical world. But honestly, I would do that, too. Can, can I stay here in the horrible, depressing place? You know what? Okay, so it's not on this list. And we're not going to get into it, Tara. He's pointing a finger at me right now. You're going to say a trigger word, aren't you? No. The most obvious comparison, I think, both in tone and adaptation, the most obvious comparison to me with Masters of the Universe is the Super Mario Brothers movie. Actually, they're very similar, aren't they? Yeah. They're both products originally made for kids. They're both bright and colorful. They're both, in a sense, fantasies, Mushroom Kingdom, Etheria. And then they get these live action movies that are set almost entirely at night. Mario Brothers was... Genuinely filmed in a concrete warehouse. <laughs> you can tell. <laughs> How's that not on this list? Because we can do a whole show on it. That's true. Um, you watch either of those movies and the characters have those names, but they're not really them. That's not really Mario. That's not really He-Man. And why would anyone who knows those properties want to just watch these movies that are set entirely in darkness and have no sense of fun? There's no fun. And a great example is the first Ninja Turtles movie that is a darker more mature movie, but it's still the characters you recognize, and it's still good filmmaking. And even with Secret of the Ooze, number two, you can still recognize each of the turtles. You can still recognize Shredder. You understand who they are. Okay, maybe I don't like the movie entirely, but these are the same people. I like them. Instead of aging with its fans, they went backwards. Like Harry Potter, the movie's mature with its fan base. Ninja Turtles 2 went back five years. And so if you were 10 when the first movie came out, a year later when part two comes out, it's not made for 11-year-olds. It's made for seven-year-olds. <laughs> yes. So they went hook style on us. 
Masters of the Universe. I'm trying to think of anything positive besides the bad guy designs looked pretty interesting, but... I like the bad guys in it. Everything else was just so horribly done. I'm going to say anyone who says this movie was bad, they're pretty spot on. I would not want to watch this movie again pretty much for any reason. So far, uh, with the whole idea of are they really that bad, we're, we've just been saying yes. <laughs> Except oh. for Hook, I guess. Well, Hook and Space Jam, like, they're bad, but at the same time, they're good in what they set out to do, especially with Space Jam. Let's talk a good one, to me at least, then. I'm going to pick one of my favorite movies, actually, The Blair Witch Project. You know, I'm going to have to say, even though I never liked The Blair Witch, I know how important it is, like, movie-wise. Mm-hmm. I don't like found footage films, but this was a cultural icon, so it's Pretty much one of my three almost just from that, that it's changed a lot of how we view cinema. And you, you know, can decide if that's your criteria or not. Yes, there have been a whole bunch of copycats, but it was one of the first. It was one of the first found footage movies. The acting is great in it. I think Heather should have got an Oscar nom, and part of the reason she probably didn't is because... People thought she was dead. Well, there's that, but also, <laughs> too, when a movie's mostly improvised... They don't get a lot of credit for acting because they're just, quote, being themselves. You know, yeah. even though she wasn't really scared, she's pretending it's acting. But, but somehow being on a script where someone else wrote it all makes it harder? I don't... That, that's the yeah. opposite. And and when it came out of festivals, it got a lot of scary as hell reviews. Like that was on the poster. Mm-hmm. Scary as hell. All these years later, no one really talks about how it got some really bad reviews. It got one stars and turkeys and review books. It had a terrible audience score because... It didn't really have an ending. The movie just kind of stops. I love the ending, but it really isn't climactic. It's mm-hmm. just screaming and running down a set of stairs, and then the camera falls over, and it's the end of the movie. And so many people responded with, they didn't even show me the witch. I was never a fan of found footage movies, but, I mean, The Blair Witch, you can't argue with that. It's important. Yeah, even with importance, though, I'm saying good. I think it is, well, not even good. It's great. I think Blair Witch is a great movie. It is the perfect example, not just because of the precedent it's set, but it is the perfect example of a found footage movie because it's the best one. That too. And if they actually had, oh my God, here is the witch. It actually is real. If they did Blair Witch today, they would add on some stupid little epilogue twist of her coming by and like picking up the camera or something. Well, it's funny that you say if they made it today because they made a sequel in like 2016. They already made a modern version. There is a recent Blair Witch Project video game that's actually pretty good. If you like survival horror. The movie, I suppose the complaints are that they don't show the witch, that not a lot happens, that's just a bunch of people yelling. But if you can allow yourself to feel like you are lost with them, and if you remember that this was the 90s, this was one of the first movies filmed like this, and even though audiences were kind of lied to because they sold it as if it was real. They sold it as if this really was the footage, that these people really did disappear. And so there was some anger from viewers. (laughs) We were tricked. Because we were tricked. No studio is going to release a snuff film, for crying out loud. I was going to say, the only other found footage movie I can remember slightly was that old one. Was it Cannibal Holocaust? Something like that? Yeah, there's Cannibal Holocaust, but even that is... But that was much more slasher gory, but I do remember there were lawsuits afterwards. Right, right, yeah. And the people who did the movie actually had to prove, no, this was all special effects, this was all staged. Yeah, the director was arrested. Yeah, here's the lady that looks like she was actually like skewered through, she's fine. They they had to bring the actors to court to to, to prove that they were alive. For the Blair Witch, was there anything like that? No. That would have been kind of funny. No, because when it hit hit big, they didn't keep them secret. Gotcha. The actors were on talk shows and stuff like that. The advertising and the website made it seem like it was real, but they didn't double down on tricking people. It was just advertising. You know, they didn't hide the actors. Cannibal Holocaust people would have been like, wait a minute. (laughs) Yeah, like three weeks after the movie hit big, the cast was on the cover of Entertainment Weekly. You're pretty sure that at that point, it's not real if they're posing on People magazine. I'm going to keep it. I'm actually going to put it as one of my three. I personally do not love the movie. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not my cup of tea, and I hate that phrase because I don't even drink tea, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's so not, dumb. It's, it's not my cup of tea. Hot brown water. Um, if you want to keep it, though, that's up to you. I'm not uh, keeping it's not it for you. my feelings. I, I'm keep, well, if I was going to do that, I I'd didn't about, keep it for you. I would talk about Prometheus and Chicken Run. Oh, my God. But <laughs> Blair Witch was still really good, and it's something that we still know nowadays, and it spawned an entire genre. I'm going to challenge you to say something positive about Batman and Robin. Okay. I like the character designs when it comes to uh, Poison Ivy. Mr. Freeze okay. looks pretty cool. Yeah, that suit is cool. Yeah, the suit is awesome. Even the bat nipples are kind of funny just because they put it on Batman's suit but not Batgirl's suit. I would say the costume design for almost all of it is actually pretty cool. 
These were not the, the dark Christopher Nolan, you know, the dark Batman stuff. Yeah, it's still well, kind it was of made the... to sell toys. And famously, the director would yell before they filmed. He would yell, remember, we're making a toy commercial. Batman and Robin was so hated when it came out. It still is. It's one of the movies that is always showing up on other bad movie podcasts. Yeah. And I'll say that even though George Clooney is trashed as an awful Batman, which I don't necessarily disagree with, I think he's a great Bruce Wayne. When you cast a superhero, you don't cast the mask. You don't cast who plays a good Batman. You have to cast on who their alter ego, their normal person is. Right. For Batman, Batman's the dude in the mask. That's totally different than Bruce Wayne. It's very bright and colorful, which is not what you usually expect from a Batman movie. They had already established that with Batman Forever. And here's, here's my defense of Batman and Robin, even though I hate it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll just okay, say it. Batman and Robin sucks. I will revisit it. Like when I go back to watch the old movies, mm-hmm. I watch 1, 2, 3, 4. I don't skip Batman and Robin. So I don't like hate it to the point where I never want to see it again. Like Masters of the Universe, I'm not rushing to ever watch it, ever watch again. <laughs> no. But if I watch Batman and Batman Returns and Batman Forever, then yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to watch Batman mm-hmm. and Robin. Here's the weird thing and that I challenge people to think about. Batman and Robin is so hated, and yet Batman Forever is not. Some people dislike Batman Forever, sure. But in a general public sense, Batman Forever is the good one, and Batman and Robin is the bad one. But if you watch them side by side, they're really not that different. And they're so, not. They're very garish, glittery, bright colors. And made colors. by the same people. And maybe Batman and Robin just takes it a step too far, perhaps, with like the American Express bat yeah, cave the bat joke. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Especially Poison Ivy's performance and the puns, if you watch them side by side, it really doesn't make sense to me that you would like Batman Forever but hate Batman and Robin. I think part of it might be the villains. In Batman and Robin, we have Poison Ivy, who's great. Uh, We have Mr. Freeze, who's played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, which I think kind of caught a lot of people off guard. (laughs) Yeah. There's no real substance to Mr. Freeze. Well, and there's no real explanation for a guy who wants to freeze the world and a woman who wants to save all the plants. Yeah, there's no reason together. for them teaming up. And then Bane's in it, and Bane just shows well, up. Well, they as ruined this... Bane. Like I read Nightfall before yeah. that movie came out, and they put Bane in Batman and Robin, and he's just a giant thug that just says "bomb." They ruined the character. At least in the case of Riddler and Two Face, they were trying to find Batman. And the case of Poison Ivy with Bane dropping a bomb here and there. And then the guy that wants to freeze everything, that makes literal no sense for them to team up together. They're not going to freeze everything but the plants. Well, when people complain about these movies, too, I don't think anyone brings up the plot not making sense. You're not following it to to watch the straightforward Well, to be clear, it's those two Batman movies. That's true. We're not going to say Batman Returns, oh, we're not watching it for plot. Eh, I mean, Batman and Batman Returns are real movies. Mm -hmm. I don't like Batman Forever either. I like it more than Batman and Robin, so the challenge I presented, I can apply to myself as well. But what is it that makes them so different? And the only thing I can think of is maybe the dial is turned a little too much on Batman and Robin. Kind of like with Ace Ventura 1 and 2. Never mind the weird transphobia stuff in the first Ace Ventura. Never mind that part. I like the first Ace Ventura. It's funny. The second one, I think they took all the stuff people liked about the first one and multiplied it by four to the point where it's annoying. Like, I can't watch the second Ace Ventura movie. I think it's god awful. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's so almost exactly the same. So why is it awful? And, and I think that kind of applies here. They took all the dumb toy commercials, all the dumb puns, even the costuming, just tweaked it. Just they turned up the dial from 10 to 11. Much. A little too much was enough to make you go, okay, this is just dumb. I do wish Val Kilmer had come back. I think he was awful as Batman, but I still wish he'd come back. I think one also difference between the two, Batman Forever didn't have an ensemble cast of, hey, here's Batman. And here's Robin, and here's Alfred's, you know, niece, granddaughter, whatever Alicia Silverstone was, his Batgirl. Batman didn't need backup dancers. And Batgirl showing up was just to sell toys. It was just the natural progression. Okay, we added Robin, now we had Batgirl. It was bloated, and it was full of a bunch of nonsense. And some of the cheesy stuff was too cheesy. Like, I love the 60s show. I Mm -hmm. love the Adam West show. But when the security guard is, like, hanging in that vault and says, it's boiling acid. Yeah. Which, isn't that in Batman Forever, though? It's... I'm, I'm confusing all the stupid stuff. George Clooney famously has the check from it. He says he has it framed in his office. Mm-hmm. And he says, this is a reminder I have to myself never to just do something for the money anymore. I have enough. I should have at least a little bit of being picky about the roles I take. Right. Val Kilmer didn't come back because in the 90s, he was notoriously prickly. Mm-hmm. And nobody wanted to work with him. I guess if you're in the movie or in the mood for... Uh, a really bad and cheesy Batman movie, it's great, but I'm going to cross it off because it's pretty bad unless you're in that exact mindset. Between the two, it and Forever, just watch Forever, but even Forever is really bad. It's yeah, not- Forever's not that good either. 
So Speed Racer, uh, what do you think? <laughs> I remember the anime and I remember watching it badly dubbed and going, okay, this is kind of interesting. But honestly, <laughs> I don't like racing movies. Oh. I find racing movies mostly stupid, even stuff like Cars. But Speed Racer, it was okay, I guess. But I just don't know who the audience was for. Was it people who liked the original anime or the well, comics? Or The movie is very hyper. It's super hyperactive. It's made in the sort of fantasy way where every other shot is in front of a blue screen. They do these awesome like transition wipes. Even the beginning, they they explain all of Speed Racer's background and they intercut his backstory. And the camera is just constantly moving. And the races are these kaleidoscopes of color and physics that don't make sense. And it's so cartoony and over the top. I love the races in this movie. I think the races are bonkers incredible. My issue is that it's two hours and 15 minutes long. In that is 90 minutes of an amazing movie. And it was made by the Wachowskis who did the Matrix movies. And so it has a very unique visual style that is just bonkers over the top. Mm -hmm. But the movie is just too stupid long. Some of the over-the-top stuff might be a little too much, but if that's the overall mood and style, then great. That's fine. I'm not going to criticize that. Imagine like a, a sugar rush. That's what it is. It's a sugar rush. The races are just so freaking amazing. <laughs> it really just needed a, a half hour or more cut from it. I did enjoy the twist, not twist, of Speed Racer being so sure that his dead brother is actually this other dude Racer in the race. X. Racer X. And then at one point, Racer X takes off his helmet and proves, no, I'm not your brother. And now, okay, that's good. We can move on. I accept my brother's death. And then at the very end, it's revealed that actually that was his brother, but he got plastic surgery, so he no longer looks like his family. And okay, I just, this is a movie about racing cars. Why do we need this in here? Well, there needs to be some kind of a story. The story can't just be that an evil corporation wants to sign Speed Racer and he realizes they're evil. That's not enough of a story. I don't mind the whole Racer X plot twist because it's it's neither here nor there. It just doesn't matter. It's not building up to it at all. It just sort of happens, which is fine. That's like, I don't true. care. It's whatever. This is one of those movies, Speed Racer is one of those movies where I want to love it. There's so much in it that I like. I just can't do it because that length ruins it. I'm trying to figure out, was the target audience people who liked the original anime or was it just going to be like, hey, if you liked Fast and Furious, but you want to take your kids to go see a movie that's more appropriate for them, here we go. I don't know that they were targeting anime fans because... Speed Racer, while it's known, isn't popular necessarily. There's a lot of iconography, like the lunchboxes and Speed Racer and the Mach 5 car, but it's not revered in the United States, you know? Hmm. Speed Racer's known, but that's it. So I don't think they were making it for fans of the show. It's just a recognizable IP. I think they were trying to do The Matrix for kids with race cars. That could have worked, but it was just two hours. It was way too long. There's a movie in it that I love. In there is a movie that I would love. You know, I can see it. When I watch it, I edit it in my brain as I'm watching it. Because I'm like, just cut this. Just cut it. I'm dropping Speed Racer. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm cutting it too. Cool parts are just not enough. I am going to keep Spice World, which is, which is the Spice Girls movie. And Tara is looking at me. I'm I will try to explain like... it in a way that makes sense, hopefully, okay? Now, keep in mind, this was the 90s, and this was like the... 96? Yeah, late 90s. No, 97, because it came out like the same weekend as uh, Scream 2, I think. Okay. The Spice Girls themselves came out probably the previous year, because they were a girl band out of the UK. Mm-hmm. And they were... Super girl power, phenomenal. super... Rah, rah, rah. But I don't think there was anything really... What's the word? There was no competition directly against them when they first came out. Yeah, they sort of birthed the girl power, Britney Spears era that kind of came out right afterwards. But there was a period of about nine months to a year where they essentially took over the world. If you weren't around back then, it's hard to really explain and describe, but it was a phenomenon. The Spice Girls were everywhere. They were massive. And one of the reasons that they sort of failed later is because oversaturation for one, but their second album came out nine months after their first one. And their first one was still selling. And Uh. so they kind of cannibalized themselves. And what made it weird was that the second album is the soundtrack to the movie. And the movie didn't come out for like another four months. So they should have waited on the second album. Right. But they wanted to take advantage because they know that these sort of phenomenons are flash in the pan usually. They don't often maintain. And so they released the Spice World album months before the movie. And it's just so weird. It's so weird to do that. Their career as a group sort of diminished very quickly right after Spice World. And the movie didn't do very well because the fatigue was already setting in. The movie is dumb. 
the first thing people will say is that it's stupid, like rolling your eyes. Oh my God, this is so stupid. Mm-hmm. But? It's a little slapsticky. So if you like silly humor, fine. The acting is bad, but you go into it knowing the acting is bad. So like Space Jam. Sure. But here's the comparison, and hopefully no one will freak out. The Beatles, okay? The Beatles also had a couple movies. They had A Hard Day's Night, which is considered a classic, which is also a little silly comedy. In Spice World, the the Spice Girls played themselves, or versions of themselves, but almost like cartoony, over-the-top silly, like, oh, this is how you see us, Mm -hmm. which is funny. The Beatles and A Hard Day's Night and Help did the same thing. Those are also dumb comedies. So why is A Hard Day's Night considered a classic and Spice World isn't? Because the Beatles continued on after their movies, and the Beatles were arguably the biggest band for how many years? Hold on. How many years were the Beatles going on? Eight. Okay, compared to Spice Girls who were out for like a year, maybe a year and a half before they started splitting off. They could have all died in a plane crash right after the movie. It doesn't change whether or not the movie itself is on its own any good. To me, it's funny as hell, but you have to... Temper expectations? Not even temper expectations. You just have to have that kind of humor. When these movie producers are talking about how they want to make a movie of the Spice Girls, and the meta joke is that it's basically the movie you're watching that they're talking about, mm-hmm. they're describing uh, a, like a runaway bus jumping over a bridge, and one of the guys says, that sounds expensive, and then it cuts to an obvious like Hot Wheels toy yeah. just <laughs> plopping over a toy bridge, and then it cuts back to him and he goes, maybe not. Yeah. That's the kind of humor. It's not bad on purpose. That's a different thing. The humor, it's dumb on purpose. Okay. That's great. I never really liked the band. I didn't really care about a movie about their lives, even if it's a cartoon version of it's their a cartoon. lives. Well, that's 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 a big thing right there. If you don't like the music or worse, hate it. I then didn't hate it. I just no, I no, mean, not you necessarily. Yeah. Like royal you, but I'm saying like Me. Yes, there's so much Spice Girls music in it that if you don't like that sort of girl pop, then yeah, it's gonna be great, and you're gonna have a real problem probably. But I love the dumb humor. I think it's funny. Dumb humor is great. A movie that's trying to be dumb funny is dumb funny on purpose. That makes it actually pretty good at what it does. But I think I got so oversaturated with it that by the time the movie came out, I was like, I've had enough of you. I don't need anything else. I am keeping it. I am keeping it because I think it is hilarious. I think it holds up. If you take the fame and the music out of it, and granted, obviously, the fame and the music even play into the movie. But But I mean, as far as looking at the film itself, it's a cartoon silly comedy about a band. And if you can take that for what it's worth, I think it's entertaining. I think it's hilarious. But yeah, it is a little Naked Gun. It is a little Looney mm-hmm. Tunes. Obviously, a lot of people didn't like it, so whatever. Let's talk about another girl power movie. How about Showgirls? So Showgirls came out, what, before or after Striptease? Uh, it was before. It was 95. Striptease was 96. Okay, so I cannot remember the lady's name, but she was the main character in Showgirls. What was the actress name? The Elizabeth Berkeley was Thank the you. actress, and the character was Nomi. Okay. Elizabeth Berkeley, we all knew from Saved by the Bell. Right. And this was her attempt to break out from the whole kitty sitcom thing. Series ended, I think. And then she was in Showgirls, right? Right. Yeah. The show's over. Mm -hmm. Show's over. No longer a little kid going to break out and prove that, hey, I'm a big adult and I'm going to be in this not super explicit movie about strippers, but still kind of explicit. It is NC-17, but other than some maybe sex scenes, it's not the most graphic. It's just a little realistic, a little adult, I guess. Yeah, and it does not show off the world of being a stripper in Las Vegas as bright and shiny, and it's kind of almost like what a kid imagines this world would be like. It's an unhappy, well, not to use the Spice World word again, but it's a cartoon. It's an unhappy, miserable cartoon. Very odd, because I know she was trying to break out of her shell, kind of like how Miley Cyrus did with that, you know, the the bear dance. Very weird to see someone that you've grown up as being like the the kind of hippie, quiet, the the super good girl, the girl next door on Saved by the Bell. We know that's the character she played. Yeah. And that was the whole point, though, of her doing it was to get away. If there was anyone else on that show that said, hey, I'm going to do an adult movie about strippers, anyone else on that show, you'd be like, okay, well, that makes sense for that character. But she's not the character. That's Tiffany Amber Thiessen from Saved by the Bell. She sort of embraced the sultry side of things, but in more comical ways. Like she would play the the girl and son-in-law with the cleavage. Yes. But it still played for laughs in a PG-13 movie. But she was still kind of the the sex kitten. Yeah, but it wasn't... It wasn't the the harsh pseudo-reality of Showgirls. (laughs) Yeah, the harsh pseudo-reality of like rape and drugs and... Yeah, Showgirls is not happy. There's nothing awesome about this. Well, I like Kyle MacLachlan in it. So like we said at the start, are these really that bad? I would say Showgirls is not really that bad. It's... It's more noteworthy as a failure because the movie was an epic bomb. Yeah. And it's not a good movie, but it's not this terrible thing. It's not what most people want. It's just not good. Yeah. It's just kind of weird because, again, it's almost like not even what 
a teenager envisions this kind of life would be like, but maybe it's almost like a warning if you're some, like to, to tie in with son-in-law, you know, you're the parents and son-in-law and your daughter goes off to Vegas and these are the horrible things you imagine happening to her. Mm-hmm. Like she would become a stripper. Oh my God. But it's not the fact that she's a stripper that's what makes the movie so dark and grimy. It's the entire environment that's so dark and depressing. And arguably, she's not actually a stripper. She's a showgirl. It's in the title. That's true. She's a showgirl. She's not an actual stripper. Interesting movie poster, though. To me, at least, I think that a big problem with showgirls is the misery. Mm -hmm. And that Nomi is such an angry character. If you want to make a movie about a woman rising among the ranks in a Las Vegas show by you know, seducing and ruining the lead actress so she can take over. Sure, make a movie about infighting and intrigue on the stage, literally and metaphorically, of a Las Vegas show. That's cool. You know, it doesn't always have to be politics. It can be a a play. We always have movies about people who are ambitious and the lengths they'll go to to improve their careers. That could have been interesting. So dark. Yeah, it's so dark. Nomi is just a miserable, mean character. She's never happy with anything she gets. When bad things happen to her, in most movies, they would try to make you feel bad for her. But she just comes off like such a jerk. (laughs) And yeah, bad things have happened to her and the way she's treated. And sure, maybe she has a reason for acting that way. That doesn't make it a good movie. I don't want to spend time with this character. Yeah, if you don't like the main person in the movie, bad guy, good guy, showgirl, whatever... You're not going to be invested in their story. How can a movie with so much nudity and so many sex scenes be so unsexy? It's not a sexy movie. You would think being NC-17 and given what it's about, that it would be sensual or you know a turn-on. But it's not. Like, you watch Basic Instinct where there's a sex scene and a guy gets stabbed with an ice pick and it's still a hot scene even though <laughs> murder just happened. But you watch Showgirls about a stage show where everyone's topless and there's no... Nothing titillating about Tittula- it. Yeah, there's no, no titillation no at all. No pun intended. No pun intended. Yeah, yeah, obviously. You're watching this kind of like, ooh, this should be cool, but there's something wrong with right. it. Right. Just to be clear, anytime you watch any movie, there's meant to be some sort of response in the viewer. And so we're not saying like, we're going to put on showgirls and be like, yeah, you know, ooh la la or whatever. I, yeah. I'm trying to keep it PG. But <laughs> you watch Steel Magnolias because you want to cry. You may not say out loud or think that you want to cry, but you want to be manipulated. You want to laugh when you watch a comedy. You want Mm -hmm. to be scared when you watch a horror. You want to be manipulated. If you watch a movie about showgirls, you probably want some kind of titillation. You're expecting something different from showgirls. And not this dark. dark. Yeah, it's grim. That's a good word. Yeah, It's very not at all exciting unless your tastes happen to run that way. (laughs) And it's not particularly grim in that it's, it's not a Serbian film, right? Oh, God. It's just unhappy. It's it's grim in that it's just unhappy and it's, it's it's a miserable character being mean and having terrible things happen to her. Who wanted to see this? A small comparison I could say could almost be Black Swan. In Black Swan, we were far more invested in Nina and we were invested in the production and there was a lot more, there was hope in different spots. And Black Swan, there's more of a fantasy element to it. There's yeah. a psychosis. There is a is this real isn't kind of sense to it. Showgirls is just meant to be reality. If you go and do like a dark, dirty section of Vegas, you know, it's there. I've been to Vegas. That's kind of Showgirls. Not everything is Circus Circus on the Strip. Well, Circus Circus is disgusting. We've talked about it. You know what I mean. You would actually get more sensual, sexy feeling from like American Pie or something like that. And you would expect that from Showgirls, but you don't. And it's just very gritty and a Sin City kind of way. Now, I will say, though, that it has been reevaluated over the last 25 plus years. And it has become embraced as almost a comedy, but even more so almost like Rocky Horror, like an audience participation, laugh out loud kind of comedy. I've seen... That could work, I guess. Yeah, I've seen footage of even Elizabeth Berkley at some of these screenings, and the crowd is just wild and happy. They're happy watching this movie. I've tried. I've gone back to Showgirls, and I've tried to watch it with glasses of, (laughs) this is silly and funny, and I just can't, I just don't get it. It is more liked today than it has been any time since it's come out. That's great for showgirls, but I'm still not going to keep oh, yeah, it. No, because it's, just, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's something that if they'd actually played it up almost like Striptease was, you know, a year or so later, that this is a fun, sexual kind of rompy movie. Elizabeth Berkley might have had a career going on with, you know, playing on being these the sex kittens. I'm going to cross off The Last Action Hero. Actually, I think it's just Last Action Hero. I keep putting the in front of it. I remember the, the poster on that where it's like, yeah, raw, this is all, like pure 90s here. Last Action Hero is one of those movies like 
Well, I guess I'm going to say like McDonald's, which I feel <laughs> I feel like I've done this comparison before. McDonald's as it was in the 90s, early no, no, 2000s. No, 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 not even that. No? Not even that. Really? No. With Last Action Hero, it's one of those movies that every few years I want to watch it again because I remember liking things about it. Mm-hmm. And then I watch it and I sort of sink into my chair and realize <laughs> this movie sucks. And it's kind of like McDonald's. Every couple of years I'll get a craving. I'll go to McDonald's, realize I still hate it, and then not go back for another couple of years. <laughs> Last Action Hero, there is so much to like. I love meta Hollywood humor. Charles Dance is in it. He's pretty Charles Dance, hilarious. Uh, Sharon Stone and Robert Patrick make cameos. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of fun stuff in it. There's a cartoon cat. They point out a lot of amazing tropes and kind of like, I suppose, kind of like Speed Racer. It's just too long. Mm. It should not have been two hours. But they have basically two movies crammed into one. There's the movie of him in the movie universe, the kid. And then there's the half of Arnold, his character from the movie in the real world where he looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm -hmm. And... The jokes just don't land enough anymore. Maybe if it had been shorter, it would have been okay. There are so many fun, stupid parts, though. There's so many parts to like. It just doesn't make sense as as a collective film. I would say I'm kind of surprised we haven't seen a sequel yet because... Well, because it bombed. No, but I'm saying the idea of, hey, mm-hmm. we don't have to do exactly last section here, but hey, here's the movie ticket, and you can now hit all these different movies. I'm really surprised they haven't done a remake of this. My guess is that... It's just too famous of a movie. And I know, obviously, when they make remakes, they want to use a known IP. Yeah. But because it was known as such a failure, uh, that that's a stigma that would be hard to shake for a new version. They've done other movies like that where a real person goes into a fake world. Whatever. It's a, it's a concept that anybody can use. But a direct remake of Last Action Hero? Yeah, it's kind of pushing it. With Last Action Hero making fun of 80s and early 90s action movies, the genre has almost become a parody of itself to begin with to the point where now when we have Mad Max, John Wick, Top Gun, we're amazed by things being real. We're not blown away by what CG can do. Now we're blown away by what we can actually do in real life, which is what we were doing for like the first 70 years of movies. How do you make a movie today where it makes fun of the action genre? Because what Last Action Hero was spoofing doesn't really exist anymore. Every once in a while, we'll get, we'll get like a throwback film that's old school style action and Expendables. There you go. Yeah. Expendables is a good example. Or now we're, now we're nostalgic for 80s and 90s action movies. So how mm-hmm. do you parody that style? What, what would a modern remake even be? Exactly, Yeah, right? like yeah. I'm drawing a blank on this. So, so <laughs> I'm going to cross it off. It is mostly famous for being the bad movie. And Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'll, I'll, I'll slightly disagree in that it's more famous for failing. That's true. There's a lot of funny parts to talk about in Last Action Hero. There are a lot of parts that I even like, but just as a film, it's hard to sit down and watch two hours of this. But I could just get a clip on YouTube for three minutes and then relive the funny part. I don't need two hours of it. Just as a whole, eh, it's not a sum of its parts. We got two left. Yeah, we have two left. Okay, so Waterworld. Some people do think that, other than his hair, Kevin Costner looks really cool in it. I remember Waterworld that Kevin Costner did the movie The Bodyguard and like blew up, right? Mm-hmm. And then he did, I think, two or three movies after that. There was Waterworld and The Postman. And it was all like yes. post-apocalyptic kind of... I'm not sure if he was trying to get away from the, the Bodyguard kind of... I don't want to say success, but he wanted to play more action hero stuff. Waterworld has a great idea and an amazing production if you look into the making of and how they shot all of it on the floating uh, sets like which is that, one which reason sank and were yeah. hit by hurricanes that's, and all sorts <laughs> that's one reason the movie was such a big financial failure because as opposed to doing an actual set like on land they built the city on the ocean mm-hmm. and, and they then could only sank. film in one direction so you can't see land yeah and then it sank so they had to build it all again and I'm like, at that point, just build it in a studio. And I hate to say that because I love to see, you know, stuff that looks yeah. real, but. Yeah. And there's limited CG because this was only 95 when it came out. Uh, at the time, it was the most expensive movie ever made, or at least the most expensive ever greenlit. There's a slight yeah, you know, difference was... of terminology there. But but it is a cool looking city. I mean, for the yeah. money they spent on it. The humor is really misplaced. And like, very dated. You can't. Yeah. Yeah. Like when the... the bad guys lose at the end, their tanker sinks and it's the Exxon Valdez. Ha ha, I guess. And the bad guys are so dumb, like comically dumb. Mm-hmm. They're, supposed, they're just horribly yeah, dumb. It's a weird mixture of tone. I don't understand necessarily because all the Kevin Costner stuff is so serious slash adventurous. It's, it's yes. serious and like slightly more serious than like an Indiana Jones movie. But the bad guys are goofy. They're dangerous, but they're dangerous in the fact that they're going to blow everything up because they're smoking a cigarette and dropping into a pile of gasoline at their feet. Well, and, and like jokey sequences of Dennis Hopper trying to paint a fake eye on yeah. his eye patch. I'm not even going to get into the stupid nonsense about like, oh, well, if there's no land, how come they have gasoline? How come they still have cigarettes? Who cares? Like, move on. It's a fantasy film. Who cares? 
I'm not going to argue the reality of the film, but I'm going to argue the tone. Yeah, it is weird. The tone with the bad guys is just too silly. Make them a threat and not, you know, incompetent. Well, they can be incompetent in ways that are not a punchline. And actually, flip side, I would say the stuff with Costner and the little girl could have been a little lighter. Kevin Costner's character, the Mariner, doesn't really talk that much. He's angry. And then, of course, he gets pulled into this grand adventure and he saves the day. I wish he had been motivated in a more positive way. That's true. That would have been nicer. I do especially like how everyone treats Kevin Costner, the Mariner, as total crap because he's amphibious. He's yeah. yeah, I'm like, that actually, I mean, sense-wise, you would technically want him to have as many kids as possible because there's a chance they would all be amphibious too, which is going to be a really good trait to have when you live in a water planet. Yeah, and I like the little details such as that he comes across a trader on the ocean, like the two little sailing ships pass each other and they stop to trade. Yeah. That's world building. You see how these people are surviving. The world building is neat. It's just too expensive for what you got. And everyone in Waterworld is a jerk. The guy that runs the city is a jerk. The guy that's selling the paper is a jerk. Kevin Costner is a jerk. Even the little girl has an attitude. They're all just jerks. The only one that's not a jerk, if I remember right, there's the elderly couple, not super, like middle age, and they have like a, their teenage daughter with them. And they try and persuade the mariner to stay and to like marry her and just leave a child in her. And then he can go on this way they want to kind of add to the bloodline. He could very easily say, okay, fine, you know, you just have her in the back. But he's not that bad of a dude. And there uh, were all the toys for Waterworld. Though. This there were a lot marketed, of toys. They like, marketed the hell out of it because it was so expensive. They had to. Yeah. And as much as it's known for being like a box office bomb and being so expensive, it actually made its money back. It, it did, really? Yeah. In its original release. It may not have made a ton, of money. a ton of money. I don't even know if ultimately broke even after marketing. It actually did okay. It did fine. It, it survived. But like you said, the characters, other than the, even the Mariners kind of like, you don't really care too much about him. The setting is cool. The costumes are cool. Mm. The production alone is kind of neat. Just yeah. the amount of practical stuff they did on water is cool. If you haven't seen it, I would recommend it just for that. Personally, I'm not keeping it only because I see what else is, is left and what I've kept so far. I don't love Waterworld. I don't often really go back to it. But yeah. I remember all the toys I had. I think right. my brother had all of them. If you have not seen it or if you haven't seen it since the 90s, check it out again. There's a lot of really cool additions out there. I agree with that. I'm still crossing it off. Yeah, same Goodbye. here. But it's worth seeing at least once. So the last movie is Scooby-Doo. This is the live action movie, I believe from 2002 with Matthew Lillard, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Freddie Prinze, Linda Cardellini. They cast perfectly for this perfect movie. Perfect cast. Let's just, and, like, it's perfect. Well, you're taking my word. I was about to say that I always describe Scooby-Doo as a perfect film. That might be eye-rolling or even laughable, but this is what I mean. I was going to say the casting was perfect. Let's not get ahead no, of No, no. I'm going to say it's a perfect <laughs> film. It was written by James Gunn, who did the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, and he did Super with Rain Wilson and Slither. That's so weird to put Slither on the list. <laughs> yeah. And Scooby-Doo, when I say it's a perfect film, what I mean by that is there's not a single thing I would change. Because every movie, you go into it, you might say, okay, it's too long. I would cut this. I didn't like this actor. This joke wasn't funny, etc. Scooby-Doo, to me... I would not change one thing. It is exactly what it needs to be. Some of the CG is pretty bad, but it was bad back then, and it's cartoony, and that's fine. That's I don't need photorealism. Based like, on a cartoon, though. I yeah, mean, yeah. Scooby-Doo and the monsters move like rubber dolls. That's fine. Like, sure, okay, maybe better effects, but it fits. I wouldn't change anything. I love the humor. I love how weird it is. It was originally written to be PG-13, and they cut it to be PG. There were some implications that maybe Velma and Daphne... Uh, had, a, had an encounter, you know? <laughs> there was a reoccurring joke that they kept cutting out. And granted, in today's climate, it's kind of lucky that they did. But there was a reoccurring joke where every time Velma interacted with somebody, they would say, were you always a girl? Oh, God. And oh, they, my God. Yeah. And, <laughs> wow. And, and, and they cut all that out. Thank um, God they did. <laughs> and there's like drug references. Like when they introduce Shaggy or reintroduce him, you see smoke coming out of his van. and They're playing uh, like a reggae song. But then when it cuts inside the van, they're grilling sandwiches. Well, that makes sense. I mean, <laughs> no, no, but this is still a PG kids movie with a marijuana joke, right? I love it. I love, I love Scooby Doo, and I'm not going to defend it like the way I defended Spice World, where I say like, okay, but how come this is fine, but this one isn't, or anything like that. I'm just going to straight up say Scooby Doo is great. I love Scooby Doo. Okay, I was probably like the only kid that did not like the original Scooby Doo, the animated stuff. After like three, four, five of them, I realized, okay, this is the same thing that happens every single episode. I could accept, you know, the bad guys losing every time in He-Man because it was a different story every time. 
Are you complaining about the legitimacy of Scooby-Doo, the animated series? I'm trying to explain that I did not like the animated Scooby-Doo. What changed for me was they made a ton of movies for him. A ton Mm -hmm. of animated movies. I think there was even like a Harlem Globetrotter movie with Scooby-Doo. It was everywhere. They're still making them like Scooby-Doo meets Kiss, Scooby-Doo meets the WWE. The one that turned on me was the Scooby-Doo and like the Ghoul School. And it had Shaggy and Scooby and Scrap because we have to have that stupid little guy and everything. And they were like camp counselors. But it was actually a really good movie. And I watched it several times going, okay, I don't really care about them solving mysteries. I just like the interactions of Scooby and Shaggy and these random little monster girls. When I watched this movie, Scooby, I was like, okay, I know it's not going to be like the animated one. It's not going to be the ghoul school that I like so much. But it's still a really good movie for someone who didn't like Scooby-Doo. Mm-hmm. And Matthew Lillard, who plays Shaggy in the, in, the, in the live action movie, he went on to do the voice in all of the Scooby-Doo animated movies that have come out since. Because once uh, Casey Kasem died, he just carried on. So he is still playing Shaggy. This movie kind of has that Brady Bunch movie feeling where it's sort of mocking and making fun of the original characters in the show while still staying true. Like these characters are still the characters, but but in a real world setting. And so you kind of see how the rest of the world reacts to them. And it's fun, cheerful. Most of the time, if you like a movie, you like the source material. I hated all the source material. I hated all the original stuff except for The Ghoul School. Still love that one. But this movie's great. I'm down to four. How many do you got? I have four as well, but I'm going to make a quick and easy decision. I'm crossing off Space Jam. Actually, I'm going to, it's between Space Jam and Scooby-Doo, and I want to get out of here alive. Crossing off Chicken Run didn't make sense to me, okay? But other than that, like, Chicken, you make your own decision. No, use your own I'm criteria. Between the two, Scoob, Scooby, not Scoob. That was a different movie. One of the main differences between Scooby and Space Jam, Scooby's just much more enjoyable to watch. Mm-hmm. It's happy and it's fun. Well, and you don't like racing movies, and so I'm surprised that you would like a movie with a 30-minute basketball climax. I don't really like sports movies either, but the thing is that it makes sense in the context of the film, so I can still kind of enjoy it. Speed Racer of the Races makes sense in the context yeah, of the I film? I don't like any of the characters. All right, well, whatever. I grew up with Looney Tunes. At least I'm kind of interested in how they're going to beat, you know, the Danny DeVito demon. The demon. He's an alien. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so what are you crossing off then? I'm crossing off Space Jam. Got the Blair Witch Project. I've got Scooby-Doo and I've got Hook. And the dead silence me. You're like... Sorry. I, <laughs> you're like, Hook? I you paused when you said Hook. It's okay. It's fine. All right. So that's your three then? You, you keep asking like I'm going to change my mind. You know what? <laughs> I think I'm going to get rid of Hook. Like, and are you Spice sure? Girls back. I, are you I sure? I can still watch Hook all the time. And I do anytime it's on, which isn't on that often. But it's still a great movie. All the characters are having fun. The only one I don't really like is Tinkerbell Julia. and Julia Roberts because that just seems so weird. As for me, Tara, now playing this week at Valley West Cinemas are The Blair Witch Project, Spice World, and Scooby-Doo. What do you think? Let us know on Twitter at VWestCinemas or Instagram at ValleyWestCinemas underscore podcast. If you'd like to support the show, please visit Patreon.com slash Podcast. And of course, please rate and review. That really does help. I'm your host, Aaron. I was joined today by Tara. Thank you for listening.